Good morning to everyone. Hello, my name is Carl Polachuk, and uh, I am with SMB Books and Small Biz Thoughts, and I welcome you to this session of the U.S. and U.K. edition of Free Day Friday. So we're going to spend probably half an hour here today, and my intention with the Free Day Fridays is to give advice to people uh, in a small quantity for free, and obviously if you're interested in uh, doing something more in-depth, I'd be happy to uh, work something out with you. Um, there's uh, um, a lot of opportunities for information in our space, and I just decided, you know, I can I can try to do this, and we'll see if it works, and uh, see if anybody's interested in getting some free advice. So, if you don't have the money to hire a full-time coach, send me your questions, and I'll see what I can do to help you. Uh, today, a handful of people will get some focused attention on their business. Anyone else on the call uh, will get to listen in on that conversation. And since many of us face the same challenges, I hope that the program is useful to everybody. We start with a question that was emailed to me. After that, we'll take some audience questions. If you want your question excuse me, addressed on the air, please send an email to carlp at greatlittlebook.com. And that's Carl with a K, so K-A-R-L-P at greatlittlebook.com. And uh, please put Free Day Friday in the subject line if you can remember. That makes my life a little easier. All right, so we have a few announcements before we jump in. First of all, uh, a couple days ago, I actually yesterday I returned from a, a Wednesday night event in Los Angeles, and it was the SMB 150 banquet. There were about 130 people there. It was I was very impressed. I mean, <laughs> Harry Brailsford always somehow manages to make something happen, uh, you know, when, when you think, well, man, who who's actually going to show up for this? Um, but uh, he, he gets them to show up. And uh, I think there were 36 people from the, um, um, the uh, S&B 150 list there, and they all got to go up on stage and give, you know, whatever, 60 seconds in the spotlight, and it was very, very nice, and it was great to see a really wonderful group of people from uh, the SMB community. And in many ways, this was the first pure community event in a very long time, so it was really nice to see that. On other fronts, the SMB online conference is going on June 26th, 27th, and 28th. I would love to have you there. If you have not registered, you can do so at smbonlineconference.com. This is a program over three days. We will have 18 hours of presentations, and uh, so it's a it's a huge event and some really great speakers. Absolutely, I guarantee in solid gold writing, there are speakers at this event that you have never heard before and who have never spoken in the S&B space. So um, it is really, truly going to be an excellent event. And you can save $200 right now uh, by putting in the code ITPRO2010, I'm sorry, 2012, so 2012, ITPRO2012. And just go to smbonlineconference.com, pick the 299 product, and then you get $200 off, and it becomes a $99 event for 18 hours of content. And I'll begin each day with kind of a, a setup of what I think is important in that space and kind of put the day in context and uh, prepare to go forward from there. And then we have um, speakers every day. So it'll it'll be a really great event. 
And you can see the entire lineup of the agenda and the speakers and everything at smbonlineconference.com. I also encourage you, if you're interested, to join the Cloud Services Roundtable at cloudservicesroundtable.com, where we have the recordings of these podcasts and other podcasts. I recorded some stuff down in Los Angeles, so I have to I have to uh, put together those podcasts. But um, you know, we'll post those all up at Cloud Services Roundtable. That's also where I talk about packages that we've put together to present um, cloud services and cloud service offerings to our clients. And there's uh, maybe 100, 120 recorded podcasts. might be more than that. So there's, there's lots of content there, and um, it's $9.95 a month. So check that out. The Network Migration Workbook, second edition is now out and available, and it has five additional chapters and um, all, all kinds of good information, a completely revised checklist that includes the 2003, 2008, and 2011 versions of SPS. We cover SPS 2011 essentials. We talk about migrating to the cloud. We talk about migrating to um, Microsoft's foundation server. I think there are two chapters on SBS Essentials specifically with lots of checklists, lots of checklists on migrating desktops, migrating the, the um, data, uh, migrating stuff to the cloud. So we have lots of good stuff there, uh, new juicy stuff in the second edition. If you already bought the first edition and you registered it at uh, zerodowntimemigration.com, then uh, you can just download the new content for free. Uh, if you have not registered it, uh, there's instructions in the book on how you can register. And finally, final uh, announcement, Jeff Middleton is having his amazing conference in New Orleans this year, and it's also in June, and you can find out information about that at sbsmigration.com. I was just talking to Nancy Williams a couple days ago. And uh, it's really looking like it's going to be just another spectacular conference from Jeff Middleton and SBS Migration. I will be there. Um, and so I'm actually going from there, immediately flying to Orlando for Autotask, and then staying in Orlando for TechEd, and I might stay in Orlando some more for LabTech. Uh, I haven't decided. But the beginning of June is going to be super, super busy. Uh, and uh, you will do yourself a great favor by attending Jeff's conference in New Orleans. Alrighty then. So let's get to our, our kickoff question for the day. Uh, this question comes from Frank. And he says, I bought your book and I've read it. It's a great book and thank you for the information. I've been doing break fix for some time and have about 700 customers, three employees, and me. And he says, I'm scared to send the letter to clients that we will no longer help them if they don't sign with us. And he said, did you really do this when you had existing clients? Um, he says, I don't want to kill our revenue if we lose some of our clients. Well, Frank, <laughs> uh, if you read the book, then you know that we, in fact, did force all of our clients to sign a contract. And, you know, I talk in the, in the book, the book is Managed Services in a Month. Um, I, I talk about the process we went through for that. And, and here's the deal, and I, I sent Frank a note about this in writing. So, um, you know, I'm going to give this advice publicly, but I've, I've already told him this. So <laughs> it's not like I'm beating him up in public. If you say you have 700 customers 
and three employees. That means there's four of you and, uh, you know, 700 customers. So that means that uh, really you don't see most of those customers most of the time. I mean, I guarantee if you have 700 customers that they are not 30 employees each putting in 10 service requests a week. They are very small clients. They are completely break-fix. You might have a few big clients, but for the most part, my guess is that those 700 customers, um, many of them spend nothing on you. And I would encourage you, first of all, if you're not using QuickBooks and you're not putting things in in just the right order, uh, you need to start straightening out your QuickBooks. But you should be able to go into QuickBooks and run a report of the sales, all sales, for the last 12 months and do it by customer detail. Okay, and so what that will do for you is you can spit it out to an Excel spreadsheet and you're going to get, for each customer, you should have categories of hardware, software, labor, uh, maybe even managed services. Sounds like you don't have that yet. But uh, if with just a handful of little categories. If you don't have those categories, you still have, I hope you have at least labor and non-labor. But even if you don't have that, if you've just got $1 amount per customer, I guarantee you're going to find that you've got maybe 5 to 10% of your customers provide you with the vast majority of your income, maybe 50, 60, 80% of your income. So everything below that, and I would literally, I would make a list of my customers and I would sort them from biggest to smallest. Your smallest customers, you probably have 350 customers that have bought less than five hours in the last year. They are not making your mortgage payment. They are not helping you live your lifestyle. They are not helping you do anything. Uh, and, and I would not be afraid of losing those customers. If you look at the amount of time it takes to support one customer who calls you four times a year, it is uh, inordinately large compared to somebody who you go out to on a regular basis. You probably don't have uh, remote agents installed on all those clients. You probably don't have um, managed service tools, so you don't have monitoring and patch management installed. So even even if you had those 700 customers and they had 10 computers each, that's 7,000 machines that you could be putting on managed services. Holy smokes. Put 10% of those on managed services. That's 700 machines on managed services. And if you're getting $30, $40, $50, $60 a piece, pretty soon that turns into real money. So, you know, you have to, you have to keep perspective about this. Um, one of the phrases I use sometimes in presentations is, you don't have to pick up every nickel you see, you know. And the other thing to keep in mind is, you're not responsible for these people's networks simply because they showed up at your doorstep, right? Somebody comes to you and says, oh, my, my computer's not working. I need you to fix it. Well, you know what? There's lots of people who will fix their computers. What you need to do is to figure out how you can have the gumption to say, I'll be happy to look at your computers. I'll be happy to give you whatever, an hour's worth of free labor. I'll be happy to give you a, a free network uh, examination. But if I'm going to fix anything, I need you to sign a contract. And if they're not willing to sign a contract, you need to go on to the next customer. 
it, you're, you're not responsible for them just because they showed up with a broken computer. So, you know, if, if you really want to be in managed services, if you really want recurring revenue that does pay your mortgage every month, then you need to start being the company that you want to become. You know, when people, when we, you know, people look around and they say, well, what am I going to find here? Right? I'm looking for Frank. Frank's got a vision in his head of what he wants people to see. And if Frank wants people to see a managed service provider, then when they come to him, he can't be all about break fix. His website can't be about break fix. His uh, forms and his processes and his procedures can't be about break fix. If you want to be a managed service provider, you need to begin being a managed service provider and then just acting in that way. Don't take clients who don't sign contracts. Figure out how you're going to migrate your existing clients to contracts. Um, you know, we, we filter through our clients pretty uh, rigorously. I mean, I would expect if you've got three techs or, or three employees plus you, I'm hoping one of those is an administrative assistant, but anyway, if there's four of you total, I would expect you to be servicing between 15 and 50 customers completely, right, in its entirety, not 700. So 50 or fewer, and I would expect some of those to be 25, 30, 40 desktops. You might have one that's uh, 75 or 100, but I'd say most of your clients are going to be 5, 10, 15 desktops, and, you know, take that times 30, 40, 50 customers, you will be pretty busy with three or four people. So, um, you know, I, if you had said 700 desktops, that'd be a different story. But 700 customers, um, you know, that, those 700 customers might have 800 desktops. <laughs> you know, um, so anyway, um, consider this: if you sign one client who pays you $2,500 a month, you can drop several small clients. And if you've got that list from QuickBooks, from highest to lowest priority, then it's pretty easy to say, all right, at 2500 bucks a month, I'm going to just, you know, do that at, what is that, uh, $30,000 a year? Let me do the calculation really fast. 2500 times 12, yeah, $30,000 a year. So if you do that, right, you sign one of those clients, you can now drop, starting at the bottom, just keep dropping them until you reach 30,000. You might get through 250 clients would be my suspicion uh, on that. And then you sign another contract for $1,500 a month. And um, so that's whatever, $18,000. So now you can drop some more of those tiny, tiny clients who only call you once a year, right? Then you add another contract and another contract, and you see how it works. You don't need a lot of contracts. If you're signing contracts that are, let's say, the minimum is $1,000 a month, and, and most of them are in the range of one to $2,000 a month, hey, you know what? Ten contracts at $2,000 a month, that's pretty good stuff right there. So um, if you want to be a managed service provider, you have to stop doing what you've been doing. And I know that that's very hard. And... Um, you know, one of my constant pieces of advice for the last seven or eight years has been, I'll bet that you need to raise your rates. I bet it's been five, six, seven, eight, ten years since you raised your rates. And um, I personally believe that everybody in this business can raise their rates, and most of them can raise them significantly, maybe even double them. 
don't compete with people on price. Compete with people based on how good you are and the kinds of services you can provide and how you can prevent their systems from going down in the first place. But if you raise your rates, you might see that a whole bunch of those clients never call you again. And that makes your job a little easier. And I know that these people are really, really nice. And, and they're, they're nice to work with and they're enjoyable people and all of that good stuff. But if somebody only buys five hours a year, and especially if your rate is, you know, let's say it's $100 an hour, that's $500 a year, you cannot rely on these people for your livelihood and the livelihood of your three employees. So um, I know it's, it's hard to do, and it, I make it sound easy, and it is not, because I've been through it. I guarantee it is not easy, but just do it. And I am not kidding you. Uh, if you hire somebody like me or my brother, because we went through all this, and I'm not trying to get you to hire me. I'm just saying, if you hire somebody else other than yourself, hire Coach Stu or, or George Sergio or whoever, um, they could literally – contact your clients on your behalf, and clean out the system in 30 days. They, they just, it's just a matter of contacting those clients and saying, here are my options. Pick one. If you don't sign one of these, then I will, um, you know, introduce you to one of my friends who is also an IT consultant. <laughs> um, so anyway, Frank, I, I hope that helps. Um, and um, it's it's sort of interesting to kind of speculate about, you know, just based on the number of clients, uh, what your business looks like. But my guess is I'm pretty close. Um, I see questions from Ken. Thank you, Ken. Ken's my biggest uh, fan on this show, and I appreciate that. <laughs> um, Ken asks, what does your candidate search and hiring process look like? Uh, how do you find good employees? both non-technical and technical. Well, you know, it's an interesting thing. I've, I've blogged about this before, but we were overwhelmed with uh, resumes even before the recession. You know, we'd put out an ad, and we would get, you know, literally 130 to 150 resumes for a job that's paying $15 an hour, you know. So... Um, I was just overwhelmed because I was, you know, I asked people to be Microsoft certified and they sent in a resume that says that they finished this technical school and they have all of the MCSE coursework done. And I'm like, okay, I don't need an MCSE, but I need you to pass one Microsoft exam. And if you've done that, you should say it. And if you haven't, you shouldn't. But uh, telling me you passed a, a class doesn't really do much good for me. So anyway, so the process that we developed uh, kind of in brief is that we put together a fairly lengthy description of what we're looking for for a candidate. And when we post the job, we have all of this detail in there so they kind of know what they're getting into. And then we have a simple screening. The simple screening is that they need to first send us their Microsoft transcript because it's a very easy thing to say, I want somebody who's Microsoft certified. And I don't care. You could have one Windows 3.1 exam. That's good enough for me. I just want to know that you passed a Microsoft exam so I can tell my clients that you're Microsoft certified. So if you have an MCP, you go to Microsoft, you put in your MCP ID, 
put in a password, and you say, I want to send my transcript to Carl. You get a code. You send it to me. I go on the Microsoft site. I put in the code. Up comes your transcript. And I know that you're not faking it, and I know that you really passed it, and I know, actually, I know the date that you passed it. So, uh, and if you passed a whole bunch of them, I can see that too. And um, so, so that's kind of a nice filter that gets rid of a whole bunch of people. And then, once they've done that, we send them a self-assessment that basically kind of here's the main technologies we use. Tell me whether you are, you've never seen it before, you're intro level, you're uh, pretty good at it, you're an expert, or you literally could write the book, right? To tell me where you are on that. And um, so we ask people to give us that assessment. And um, if it looks pretty good, then I will have a very brief telephone conversation with them. Just make sure they don't sound like they drool all over themselves. And um, if that goes well, then we'll invite them in for an interview. And we have normally three interviews. And uh, the first one is uh, with uh, either me or Mike, that we, we will interview them just one-on-one -on -one and uh, fill out an evaluation form based on what we're looking for in the company. And one of the key things that we look for is, um, you know, how well we think they're going to fit with us. Uh, how well spoken they are, whether we think they could actually talk to clients. And then the second interview, and normally these are back to back, so they do a whatever, half hour with me, and then they go talk to the techs for half an hour. And so the technicians interview the candidate, and they have a, a list of the same questions, although there's some blocked out that are just for me. And um, so they ask the technicians some questions. And they fill out evaluations of what they thought of the person. And then the third interview is actually we take the technician to lunch. So we go from 11 to 11.30, 11 11.30 to 12, 12 o'clock, we all go to lunch. So um, the technicians and the candidate, and, you know, we go to lunch, and it's just lunch. It's, it's literally we, the, you know, people relax. They kind of, you know, feel like, wow, man, they're taking me to lunch. I must be doing pretty well, you know. And um, so at that point, if they've got, like, the world's largest collection of illegal software, they might mention that. Um, if they're, you know, rude or abrupt to the waiter, we take note of that. Um, if they tell stories about how, you know, they got the world's largest collection of unopened uh, software from Commodore 64. We know they're a total geek. You know, there's all kinds of things that could come up in a casual conversation. It's not, strictly speaking, part of the uh, interview process, but it clearly gives us a sense of whether or not they would work with us uh, on the team. And, and then we send them on their way. We all sit down together with these forms that we filled out and you know, most of the time, believe it or not, we all agree on everything. We give them the same rating on everything. And so we only discuss where they're different. You know, why did you give them a three when I gave them a one, uh, you know, if there's big differences? And so we get a sense of, of what we think their technical ability is. We get a sense of 
um, you know, whether they would work with the team. And, you know, if somebody on the team says, man, I just got a bad feeling, you know, we, we take that seriously. So, um, and, and I know that seems like a long process, and it, and it really is, because it's, you know, two or three hours, um, and we gotta, we got to go through at least three technicians. But because we've done this screening process, it's, um, you know, it, it, we've had really good luck with it. And I will tell you, every time we have broken this process, I personally have broken this process, I have made big mistakes. So breaking the process means I meet somebody that I think is just over-the-top, spectacular customer service, and I say, hey, man, you've got to come work for me. This person shows up on the job. Everybody goes, what the hell? What, what happened to the interview process? And I'm saying, hey, man, you're not going to believe this guy. Oh, blah, 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 greatest thing ever. And guess what? He doesn't work out. Um, one time we had somebody who we put out um, applications. This guy looked like he's, you know, sort of more or less qualified. I got a phone call from a former employer who said, and who was a member of my user group, somebody I, I know and respect. And he said, oh, man. This guy's the greatest technician. You're going to absolutely love him. He's going to, he's going to like, run your company. He's going to be so good. You're going to love him. He's going to be with you for 20 years, blah, blah, blah. It was such a ringing endorsement that I said, okay, so we're not going to interview anybody else. We're going to interview him, and if he sounds good, we'll hire him. We did that. We broke. We went outside our own process, and uh, it turned out to be maybe the worst employee ever. Meh, certainly in the top two uh, in, in the last 17 years. So, you know, when we follow the process and we filter properly and we take three hours and invest it in hiring somebody, we get uh, some really great people. And we have picked some true gold nuggets out of the bag. Um, there have been a couple of people who were just getting started in the business, just, you know, they had a couple of certifications, self-taught, had never really worked at an IT company, and they turned out to be really great, great employees. And uh, one of them, uh, you know, his, his previous job to us was working as a night clerk at a hotel and teaching himself computers on the side. And he came to work for us for a couple of years. He moved on to another technology company, and, uh, you know, he still joins us to make beer when we do that. And now he's off working, and he's worked his way up. He's actually doing pretty well. He's a supervisor uh, in tech support at Apple. So, you know, uh, we follow the process. We get good results. We don't follow the process. We don't get good results. So that's probably far more than you wanted to know about <laughs> the hiring process. But that's what we do. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing because you never, um, you never know until after somebody's been with you for a while uh, how good they're going to be. So, all right. If anybody else has any questions, go ahead and put them in. I have another Another question from Ken. Uh, when you've got some type of knock services like Zenith you're paying for, do you have to give them domain admin credentials to su uh, provide support for your servers, or are they accessing them to the agent that is installed? So um, different companies work different ways, and um, what we do is that the, the tool, uh, the, the log-me-in tool, and in our case, it's a Zenith or Continuum. Um, you can you can have a a credential that basically you come in as as that logon, like the Zenith logon or the KP Enterprises logon. And so, 
even your employees don't have to know the local administrator password. That makes it very easy that you could disable that uh, access without disabling the administrative account. Um, and, you know, some poorly written programs run as the local administrator or the domain administrator. So um, <clears throat> changing that password uh, can lead you to some trouble. So it, it, we, we do have a system, and, um, and Zenith is, is really good at just, you know, once you put your credentials in and you go to remote, it says, hey, do you want to just click this button and I'll log you on? And you say yes, and it does. Um, so uh, and I'm assuming other services are, are similar to that. Uh, but if they're not, you can, you can create your own uh, accounts in uh, Windows and uh, only give them access to that account. Uh, what we do with other vendors, for example, if we have somebody who's coming in uh, from a, a line of business application, we create an account for them. So it might be, uh, you know, Dentrix uh, admin, and um, th that account has only um, the credentials that it needs. So we don't necessarily make them a domain administrator, but give them access to the accounts and the files and the folders and so forth that they need. Um, so if, if somebody comes in from Dentrix, we can just literally, we change the password and we give them the current password. And then they come in and we organize all that through the service board. And when they're done, we disable the account. And we don't even write down the password because it doesn't matter. I mean, it's in the service ticket. But um, we don't keep that password because the next time they log in, we're going to enable the account change the password, and email the, the new password. So that way, we are totally in charge of vendor access because we've had vendors who come in. I'll never forget this one guy that he came into a doctor's office, and um, he, well, he needed, I don't know, .NET. Uh, I think he needed .NET 1.0, so he uninstalled .NET 3.0 from a small business server. He broke everything. He literally broke everything on the server. And so we said, okay, you can never, ever, ever have access to this again unless we are completely in control of the situation. So we did that. We've never had that kind of stuff with Zenith or, you know, any, any of the more professional outfits out there. Um, so, but uh, it, it is important that you um, – you know, have control of whoever comes into your machines. Um, so let's see. A follow-up from Ken is, where do you advertise job openings? At this point, so we've tried uh, Monster. I found it to be expensive and, and really got us completely the wrong kind of people. I mean, it got us a lot of SQL administrators and people who were, you know, exchange administrators who'd never actually worked on a, uh, server itself. They didn't know anything about Active Directory that wasn't involved with uh, patching Exchange. So um, right now we use Craigslist, and again we you know we get that 100 130 uh, applications no problem. And um, you know there's a lot of a lot of good people who are using Craigslist to find a job. Um, uh, a question is, uh, what do you do different when hiring administrative assistants or office assistants in the hiring process versus technicians? Um, it's slightly different, um, to be honest. Uh, we put out a little bit of a different ad that um, specifically, you know, sort of makes it sound like, hey, you know what, this is not a glamour job. This is going to be serious work. So 
the ad is basically one that says, you know, I'm, I'm looking for somebody who's going to do whatever needs to get done. So I need, I need some bookkeeping, and I need some office management. I need you to order supplies. I also need you to take out the garbage, just fill my car with gas, you know, check the mail, run errands, go pick things up from the printer, you know, and I make it very clear, whatever needs to be done. So, you know, when people show up, I'm only going to get people who are willing to do that. And, uh, you know, I've never never had somebody, you know, say, oh, I didn't know I had to, you know, make the coffee in the morning. I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, I think we were pretty clear that, you know, your job is to run the place so that we can focus on technology. Um, so we, we have a different ad. Um, we don't do the big, long technical thing. Uh, really, the administrator is hired by uh, the people who are in management of the company. So it's it's really just um, one interview plus lunch, and uh, technicians are not involved in that. Although if they're around, we certainly you know, hey, did you hear anything that stood out? We we ask their opinion. Um, I have for the most part because because I've been hiring technicians who work both at Great Little Book and KP Enterprises. For the most part, I've hired the, the administrative uh, people over the years, and um, we've had lots of them. And, uh, uh, you know, if you don't have an administrative assistant, I'm telling you, go get one because it will change your life. Um, uh, uh, on Craigslist, how do I keep my posts from being flagged for removal? I don't know that I've ever had a post flagged for removal. Um in Sacramento, we pay $25 to post an ad for a job. So uh, I, I pay $25, and my ad runs. And uh, to my knowledge, we've never had any issues with that. So, um, all righty. So we're we're past our half hour, um, and and I will take other questions if they're if they're out there. But um, if there are no other questions. And I want to I want to thank uh, people who who sent in questions. Mark and and Ken and Frank uh, all sent in questions. And I really you know I encourage everybody if you have questions, please email those to me, and I'll be happy to uh, try to get them on the air. So with that, oh by the way, in case you missed the music, the music on this system is so horrible that I'm just going to hum and and add some humming into the uh, the podcast. So anyway. Uh, so that's pretty much it for today. I thank everyone who uh, tuned in, and I hope this was worthwhile. As always, I really appreciate your feedback, and that includes feedback on the registration process, how the show went, everything else. Please email me at carlp at greatlittlebook.com. And this concludes our U.S. and U.K. broadcast for May 18th. Thank you very much. <laughs>